0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Awakening Report. I am so excited. We are doing a debate today. I haven't done a a good debate for a while. And I have a uh, well-qualified, well-prepared debater ready to go. We have Laverne Whitty. And uh, our topic today is a very important one, I think. We are asking whether Paul is a true or a false apostle. Now, I, I hope it's clear that I will be arguing that Paul is a true apostle. I believe everything Paul said. Uh, Laverne, who's going to share with you his point, his perspective, but he thinks that Paul is a false apostle and that Paul is actually uh, of the devil. Those are his words that I read in his email. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce everybody so that we can uh, see the crew. I also have my friend Chris Steinley. He's going to keep us honest. He's going to keep us on time. And uh, make sure that we play by the rules. And so thank you, Chris, for being here. It's really awesome. And thank you, Laverne, for uh, suggesting this uh, this good opportunity. and I, I just pray that we have a good uh, time discussing this. And I, I want to make this very clear though, that all of us believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. right? So we're, we're all we're all clear on that. The question is, what to do with Paul. And certainly Paul has been a contentious figure for a very long time. Some people are extreme this, some are extreme that. So let's take a look. Uh, Laverne uh, agreed that he wanted to go first. So he's going to present why he thinks Paul is a false apostle. And then uh, I will then give my reasons why I think Paul is a true Mm -hmm. apostle. So uh, Laverne, take it away.
1: Okay. Thanks. Uh, so is my time starting now or do you want an introduction kind of thing?
0: Yeah. Take, or? take about a minute. We'll give you an extra minute or so, but, uh, but then just, then just go into your, your talk.
1: Okay. Well, I don't have to spend too much time on introductions. So I'll, I'll just jump right into it. Uh, I think when looking at Paul, my experience has been that most people don't even want to consider the fact that he could be false. Uh, I've loaded uh, a good number of uh, YouTube videos on the topic, and I often find that people will leave comments without actually even watching the videos. They are are just so adamant about their belief that whether it's pride or fear, I'm not sure, but many believers just will not consider the fact that Paul could be false. And so I think the first thing I need to do is explain why it is that some people don't want to uh, even consider the possibility. And the one reason is because of the ramifications if Paul is deemed to be false. For many people, it is simply too much uh, to think that their parents and grandparents and so many people over the centuries have been fooled have been deceived, it's just too much to even consider. And another reason though, is pride. If somebody's written 20 books on the topic, uh, really pushing Paul, and then they find out that he's false, for many people, this would just be too much. So when we consider the ramifications, and then when we also consider that if he's false, what that means about our own doctrine and theology, uh, it, it it is just for some people too much to handle. But if he is false, the ramifications of ignoring the evidence is even is even worse. So I think if somebody can admit there's just a one percent chance of Paul being false, then it would behoove them to look at the evidence with fresh lenses and to uh, honestly look at the evidence in determining if it's false or not, because even if there's a 1% chance he's false with your eternal salvation at stake, it only makes sense uh, to look at it. Having explained that, uh, as well also talk about uh, uh, the canon process, because if Paul is false, it means that the canon process was not of God, that it was actually orchestrated and, it, and by the devil that the devil is the one who wanted to eliminate much of yahweh's written word so if paul is false it means the canon was tampered with and then what that would mean is there's other writings that are actually inspired that aren't in the bible and so this is one of the first things i want to talk about there are so many books that when you look at them we can see that the messiah that the apostles Uh, we're actually referencing a good number of books that are not found in the Bible. As well, you will find that there's a good number uh, of uh, uh, information, a good amount of information that you cannot make sense of it if all you have is the Bible. So a lot of people will say that the Bible is all you need. It's sufficient in every way. But there are statements made. There are teachings in the Bible That only makes sense if you step outside of it. Uh, One example of this is the Esau. We are told that Esau was hated by Yahweh even in the womb. Well, you can't find uh, a really good explanation of why that would be in the Bible. But if we go to the book of Jubilees, what we see is that uh, Esau actually went to war against jacob Uh, esau uh, really abused his parents stole from them and on isaac's deathbed their father made both jacob and esau promise not to fight with one another that they would have peace but after their father died what happened is esau went to war gathered his family and others went to war with jacob and jacob ended up shooting an arrow from a tower and killed Esau. So this is the real reason why God said that he hated Esau even in the womb. It's because Esau tried to kill the one from whom the Messiah would come from. When uh, Yahushua said that uh, this generation would be responsible for all of the prophets who had been murdered from the time of Abel, down onto zacharias if all we do is read the bible you could only conclude he's talking about a priest that was killed approximately 400 years earlier which would mean then that this generation that he was talking about would not be responsible for the deaths of other prophets from the time of zacharias down to his time and that just does not make sense but if we read a New Testament age writing called the proto it explains that John the Baptist's father was actually killed in the very same way that the Messiah explains it. The very same way. So the reason he was killed is because he refused to turn John over to be murdered, to be killed by king harold's soldiers who were looking for all the male children under the age of two and because zacharias refused to turn him over he was killed for it. so what we see is that the bible is not enough and there are so many other examples of this kind of thing it is only when we step outside of the bible that we have more information that we can make sense and this is especially true When it comes to prophecy, there are many prophecies that you won't be able to interpret properly unless you go outside of the Bible. So it's pretty clear that there is much more to God's written word. In fact, if you were to read uh, Enoch, what you would see is that there are more than 100 passages in the New Testament that find their precedence in the writings of Enoch. Jude even quotes Enoch. And in the Bible, I have as a footnote at the bottom of the page, it gives us the exact chapter and verse that Jude was quoting. So there's really is, there should be no doubt that there's more to God's written word than what's found in the Bible. Well, if the canon process was corrupt, it then at least creates the possibility that the possibility that Paul was false. And then when we look at the people who were involved in the canon process, it becomes obvious when we look at their fruit that they were not children of God, but rather children of Satan. A good example is Martin Luther, who is the father of the Great Reformation. He has Bibles with his name on it. There are churches with his name on the church. And yet if you look at his fruit, some of the things he said, Martin Luther fully understood that the epistle of James contradicted and refuted what Paul taught. And so Martin Luther said that the epistle of James was one of straw and that it should be burned. Martin Luther also said that the Jewish religious leaders, the rabbis who refused to convert to Christianity, should be killed. Their synagogues burned, their books burned, and their homes burned, and any other the Jews who refuse to convert to Christianity should be exiled from the country. Now, this is not the fruit of a child of God. And yet he's the one that many people go to for doctrine and theology. He also said when the peasants were rebelling because of the, the poor conditions, Martin Luther took the side of the rich uh, landowners, the barons, the princes, and he instructed them to kill the peasants either in public with a trial or in secret without one. And this is the man that people look to for the, you know, the so-called Great Reformation, the father of it. And when we look at the, if we go back and we look at uh, other instances where the canon was uh, fiddled with, we see the same kind of thing when we look at the fruit of the people involved. If we go back to, the time of Constantine, the Catholic Church was marrying itself to paganism. It, you know, changing the, the Sabbath, the things that they did, they even persecuted and killed other Christians. That was the, the first time, that, that was the time period when Christians began actually persecuting and killing those who were not of like mind that they considered to be heretics. And these are the people who were creating the canon, uh, deciding which books were to be deemed inspired by God and which ones weren't. So when we we look at these things, we can see that it really was not God who orchestrated the canon that we have today. Uh, Another uh, uh, person to look at and things we need to consider Many Protestants claim that the King James Bible is the be all to end all, that it's the perfect translation and the only one to be trusted. But there is plenty of evidence, many scholars believe, many historians, that uh, King James was himself a homosexual. Well, I do not believe that God would choose a homosexual to have his name on his perfect translation of scripture. And if we, we go back further... I mean, King James is the one who commissioned, he paid the money and he picked the people who were going to be in charge of uh, creating the Protestant Bible. But if we go back further and we look at the church itself that the King James Bible came out of, it came out of the uh, the Church of England, which uh, King Henry VIII created, and he only created it because the pope refused to give him an annulment and so the church of england was created wholly and solely because of king henry the eighth's uh, sexual lust his uh, fornication and his adultery this is what the church of england was built on why it was created and it's from that church that we got the king james bible so when we look at these things if we look at the fruit and the people involved with the canon we can see that uh, there was a lot of influence coming from wicked, evil men who clearly were not men of God. It just did not display that fruit. And so this is why I say we need to look at books outside of the Bible. If we look at Clementine's homilies, Peter tells us in it that there are actually falsehoods allowed in Scripture, and they are allowed as a means of testing us. This is similar to what happened in the Garden of Eden. We have Satan being allowed into the garden. Now, a lot of people, atheists, will say it doesn't make sense. Why would God, a perfect God, allow the devil into the garden? Same kind of thing. People ask, why would God allow falsehoods in Scripture? It's for the very same reason as he allowed the devil into the garden. For we find in the writings of Enoch that God... It tells Enoch that the tree was placed there and the devil was allowed there because Adam or rather because God himself knew Adam's nature, but Adam did not. So he allowed those things to happen as a means of testing Adam so that Adam would know what his true nature is. And after rebelling, after eating the fruit, his nature became apparent to him. So there's so much to be learned from these other books. Now, regarding Paul and, and why I bring this up, I believe many people would say that there's no way they would sit down and feast with the devil, feast with demons, feast with the evil spirits. It's just something that they would not do. But Paul, what he teaches us in the uh, in, in first Corinthians is that we can sit down and we can eat food that's being offered to idols and this is the uh the linchpin if you will this is what really that lets us know that paul was deceived and he was a false apostle he tells us we can sit down the believer can eat food sacrificed to idols and there won't be any serious consequences for it because idols are not real gods they're just wood and so on they are not truly gods. But we find in the book of Acts that the apostles, they only gave a few restrictions. And one of them was, do not eat food sacrificed to idols. And Paul goes against the apostles regarding this matter. Then we find in the, the book of Revelation that our Lord and Savior, he tell, or he's talking about the, the seven churches. And he points out that there's two of them that are, practicing eating food, sacrificed to idols, and he condemns them. So why did Paul say it's okay? Why do people accept what Paul said? Well, the reason is because we do not find anything in the Bible explaining the problem with eating food, sacrificed to idols. All we are told is that we're not supposed to do it. And because Paul doesn't understand it, he thinks he can do it. He's going to the Gentiles, to the uh, the various pagan uh, uh, regions, sitting down and eating the food sacrificed to idols. And we know then that he would have been doing this uh, on a fairly uh, a routine basis. The problem with it and how we can know Paul was false or at least a, a big part of the, uh, the evidence, we find in Clementine's homilies, Peter explains that when you sit down and you eat food, sacrifice to idols, you are actually sitting down and feasting with demons. And so I'd like to uh, actually read what he had to say about uh, eating food, sacrificed to idols. This is from Clementine's homilies, uh, uh, homily seven, chapter three is what I'm reading from. Now, I have been told that after he had sacrificed an ox, he feasted you in the middle of the forum and that you being carried away with much wine, made friends with not only the evil demons, but their prince also. And that in this way, the most of you were seized by these sicknesses, unwittingly drawing upon yourselves with your own hands, the sword of destruction for the demons would never have had power over you had not you first supped with their prince? For thus from the the beginning was a law laid by God, the creator of all things on each of the two princes, him of the right hand and him of the left, that neither should have power over anyone whom they might wish to benefit or to hurt, unless first he had sat down at the same table with them. As then, when you partook of meat offered to idols, you became servants, Of the prince of evil and then in chapter 8 it says abstain from the table of devils that is from food offered to idols now if you understand Just what paul was doing and how often he was doing it He was basically giving legal right to these demons by feasting with them This is why when we actually are honest and we take a look at some of the things paul wrote It looks like he has a uh, uh, you know a split personality or multiple personalities the way he changes things up just some of the things he does and he actually does attack the the Apostles who walked with Christ and when we look at this it begins to make sense the reason he talks about the law being done away with is because of, uh, of the fact that he was feasting so often with demons this is why he wrote so many of the things he did and then when we look at the things that uh, many of the things that paul uh, instructed on what we see is that he's the only witness to them many of the things that paul taught he is a single witness but we are told not to accept testimony unless there are two or more witnesses so i'd just like to give a few examples of the things that Paul taught that no one else did. We get from Paul the doctrine of total depravity. This idea that we have to sin, we have no choice but to sin. Even after we become uh, believers and we are born again, there is still this teaching that we will continue to sin. But that's not taught by anyone else. So when he says, no one is righteous, not one, in Romans 3.10, he is referencing Isaiah 64 6 the problem is he takes Isaiah 64 6 out of context because that's talking about a specific time and about a specific uh, people at that time It's not talking about the entire world where we find that Christ himself said he did not come for the righteous but for those that were sick well If you didn't come for the righteous, this means that there were righteous people already. We hear in the Old Testament of people who were righteous, people who were upright. So this idea of total depravity, that we must sin, will sin, have no choice but to sin, it comes from Paul, and it's an absolute lie. Uh, Paul also taught that women are to remain silent in the church, and he's the only one that does this. Now, the thing is, One time he'll say sin entered through Adam. But then when it comes to women being silent in the church and not being able to teach men, such as he says in uh, 1 Timothy, he uh, refers to Eve being the one that was deceived. So he picks and chooses. You know, one time uh, the fault lays with Adam. Another, when it's convenient, the fault lies with Eve. And he's the only one, I I can't stress this enough, that women are to remain silent in the church and wait till they get home to ask their husbands, which is kind of odd because he also teaches that he would prefer that people didn't marry, that men remain as he is, uh, unmarried, remain single. So just imagine if all the men in uh, Israel, all the men wherever Paul went, chose not to uh, get married, chose to remain single like Paul who then are the women going to go to when they have questions? Uh, he teaches that men are not supposed to have long hair. Well, the reason he did this is because he himself was bald. We find this in an extra biblical writing that Paul was bald. This is why he says even nature shows us that men are not supposed to have long hair. But when we look at the Shroud of Turin, it shows us that Christ, this is the shroud he was wrapped in, that he had long hair. We find in extra biblical writings and written by one of the church fathers that James, the brother of Christ, uh, did not allow a razor to touch his head. So this is just Paul teaching wholly and solely things that uh, no one else believed and no one else taught. And because we don't have a second witness, we shouldn't be accepting these things. Uh, uh, just a couple of the things he warns of rebuilding the law that he tore down. He says Christ is the end of the law. That's Romans 10, 4. Uh, the law tore down is found in Galatians 2, 18. Salvation by faith alone, apart from works. He teaches this in Romans, Romans uh, three twenty one and four fifteen. Uh, The part about not eating food sacrificed or that we can eat food sacrificed to idols from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 14 to 13. Baptism of the dead. This is what I'm going to be talking about more. He's the only one who mentions baptism of the dead. And this is where the Mormons, at least the Mormons, have got this right. Paul actually did. he didn't condemn it in any way shape or form and so while the mormons i don't believe you know are following right doctrine and theology because they're getting this from paul the fact is because paul did not condemn it in any way we can only then come to the conclusion he was okay he was accepting of people baptizing the dead and this is pure heresy. It's something that he should have been condemning. All right. I think I'm close enough to my uh, 25 minutes. I'll leave it there. Turn it over to Doug.
2: All right. You've got a couple more minutes if you so desire.
1: Okay. I'll uh, keep going. I thought I had about 30 seconds. Uh, I will use my, uh, uh, my time then. Yeah, I know a lot of people when it comes to this bit about uh, baptizing the dead, they'll make excuses. They'll say, oh, wow, that he really wasn't supporting it in any way. Uh, He was referring to people that did it, but he didn't support it. Well, if it's wrong, why didn't he uh, point it out? He had no problem in kicking people out of the church for sexual sin, turning them over to Satan, he says. Imagine that turn someone over to satan so that they'll be saved that just goes against everything that's taught in the gospel to turn someone over to the devil willfully and saying I'm, I'm going to turn this person over to the devil so he'll get rid of his uh his sin and he'll be able to be saved in the long run that's absolutely nuts nobody else would ever teach that um Actually, I will end there. I'd like to start fresh uh, when I start talking about these other things. So I will turn it over to Doug.
2: All right. All right, Doug.
0: Okay. Um, fantastic. So thank you uh, for that, Laverne, for your um, your comments. And okay, I'll take it away. So thank you so much. Here we go. Okay. Um, I have a presentation I'm going to. Show So you guys won't see me, um, but again, uh, I trust you can hear me. So Chris, let me know if, if you can't hear me, but uh, again, I want to thank Laverne for coming and sharing with us. I can sense his passion. I can definitely uh, sense that he has zeal for truth. Um, I, I think there's a problem though. I, I think what's happening is that he is uh, looking at things uh, very differently. And let's just take it step by step. So I want to suggest that anti-Paulists are fighting Marcionism and not the real Paul. So uh, this is a quote from Laverne. He sent this to me in the email, both on June 8th and June 18th. He said, Paul taught the law was uh, tore down and that we are no longer under it. Okay, so these are his words. Let's take a look at this and see what Paul actually said. Do we then uh, abolish the law, the Torah, by this faith? Of course not. Instead. We uphold the law," he says in Acts twenty four fourteen. He says that uh, I confess to you according to the way which they call a sect. So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Then he says in First Corinthians seven nineteen, keeping the commandments. The Greek word there is entolon, of God is what matters. So he's telling us that keeping god's commandments is really what matters now this is almost a word for word uh uh, citation from ecclesiastes 12 13. let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear god and keep his commandments hebrew means fotav, greek entolas all right so we're looking at the same thing for this is man's all jesus echoes these words the commandments the entolas do not commit adultery, murder, et cetera. So he, he defines what those commandments are. And Paul says that keeping those commandments, God's commandments, is what matters. He then says in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, the things which I wrote to you are the commandments of God. Now, this could be misunderstood because you could think that, well, Paul is saying that what I'm telling you are God's commandments. No, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with you what God has already told us. He's not coming up with new stuff. He's coming up with the stuff that God has already stated. And we see this in 1 John chapter 2. He who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And so what I'd like to suggest is that the, the debate it really about Paul is misplaced. It's kind of like Don Quixote. Don Quixote thought that he was fighting giants, but in fact, he was just fighting windmills. And this is what I suggest that that anti-Paulists, including Laverne, are fighting imaginary giants. They're not fighting the real Paul. They're fighting the Marcionistic Paul. And I'm going to talk about who Marcion is in just a moment. But let's consider more of Paul's words so that we can get a better idea. Here's one that is misused all the time. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, I know lots of people, uh, a lot of dispensationalists, who love to take this and say, see, the law has been done away with, and Paul is telling us this. But this is where we have to go back to the Greek. In, in the Greek here, it's telos, the, that Christ is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone be- who believes. This, now, from the Badag uh, Greek-English lexicon, they say in the sense that Christ is the goal. All right, and this has been used in uh, Plato's uh, uh, Plato's writings uh, telos ton nomon, the goal of the laws. What is the goal of the laws? That you would keep them and that you'd become a better citizen. That's the idea. So the goal is Christ. Our goal by keeping the law is to be like Jesus. But of course, this is greatly misunderstood. And I I understand that what, what Laverne is doing is he's fighting against the people who have twisted these scriptures, and there are many, to be fair. And so I share his passion in that sense. But I think the real enemy is not Paul, but it's, it's Marcion. That's the guy we have to look at. So what is Paul saying to us? He's saying, look, God's instructions are the goal. The goal is being like Jesus. He's showing us what it is to be that. And notice what he says in Romans chapter 7. The law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. He's told us that it's good. He's told us this already, that he believes everything that God said in the Torah and in the prophets. Has then what is good, now I put in brackets here the law or the Torah, because he already defined for us what is good. Has that become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good, again the law of the Torah, so that sin through the commandment, the law of the Torah, might become exceedingly sinful for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So Paul is telling us again that the law is good. We do not see anything in Paul's writings that suggests that the law has been done away with. But you may say, but wait, what about Galatians, right? What about Galatians? So in Galatians 3, chapter 19, and and I get this all the time from people. Hey, Doug, You know, why are you putting me back under the law? Haven't you ever read the book of Galatians? You know what? I actually have read the book of Galatians. And I think a lot of people have misunderstood Galatians, not because of what Paul said, but because of the Marcionistic influence. I'm going to explain him in just a minute. But the Marcionistic influence of Paul has twisted these verses. So what purpose does the law serve? He says it was added because of transgressions. Now, let's just think about this for a minute. Now, here's two guys that have gotten into a fender bender. Now, I, I probably, everybody, you know, wants to get home safely. Nobody wants to get in a wreck. But say, sadly, uh, accidents happen because somebody wasn't paying attention. Maybe they uh, went through a red light. Maybe they did not follow the laws. Maybe they don't even know how to drive that well. Okay, there's all kinds of possibilities here. So, you need laws so that we have orderly conduct on our roads. And I thank God for street laws, even though I don't even like them sometimes, but I'm thankful for them. So, the law was our tutor, Paul tells us, to bring us to Christ. So, this this word here is uh, pedagogos. This is like a driver's manual. All right. So, we've got this driver's manual. And according to Bedag, this is a guide. So, pedagogos whose duty it was to conduct a boy or youth to and from school and to superintend his conduct. So the driver's manual is to superintend my conduct, is to tell me, here's what you do when you're driving so that you don't get into fender benders and you don't kill somebody and do something terrible. These are the laws of the road and you have to obey these. Now, I'm, I don't drive around with a driver's manual. I want to have it deep in my heart. So what does Paul say about this manual? He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, keep an eye on those two words, judgments and ways. Where do we find these? We see these in in the, in the the Tanakh, of course. You have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law remember the law of Moses my servant which i commanded him in horeb for all israel with the statutes and judgments and there's zillions of places to talk about god's ways and his judgments so paul is saying that god's judgments and his ways that we clearly see in the torah in the tanakh as well we see them all over paul is referring to those so paul is not the problem it's understanding what paul said and many people do not understand paul because of the Marcion, Marcion's influence that has uh, jaded us against Paul or jaded us against the Torah, I should say. We see in Hebrews chapter eight, verse 10, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. So imagine if somebody have a, has a driver's manual and they're reading the manual as they're driving, that would not work. Where does that manual need to be when the person is driving? Does it need to be on their uh, passenger seat? Does it need to be in their glove compartment? No. In fact, it probably should not even be in their car. The driver's manual should be in their heart. That is where it has to be. They need to know that thing by heart. And I have to say, after driving many, many years now, I have it down pat. All right. I, I know how to drive. I'm a good driver. At least I think I am. You guys can be the judge, but I, I think I'm a pretty good driver because I know the driver's manual. I don't have to think about it. It's just part of my DNA. And that's what God wants his laws to be, that they'll be part of my DNA. This is why in Jeremiah 31, 33, God says, I will put my law, my Torah T, in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. And Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is God's desire for us. Now, let's think for a moment. If Paul were a false apostle, what would that really mean? All right, this is what Laverne and others have claimed. The anti paulists have claimed he's a false apostle. He works for the devil. Let's think about this. Let's just do a little bit of of logic deduction here. If Paul were a false apostle, then we should not admit into our canon— The book of Acts. Why? Because it was Luke who wrote the book of Acts. And of course, we cannot accept Peter's sermons in Acts because those are written by Luke, and Luke was a buddy of Paul. We cannot accept Jesus' commissioning of Paul for obvious reasons. Uh, Anything in Acts about the early church we should not accept into our candid. And so Laverne made reference to Acts chapter 15, where it talks about what clean food is, and I, I'm, I'm all for Acts chapter 15, but how can he possibly use that when the book of Acts was written by Luke, who was a traveling buddy of Paul, right? So if you're going to throw out Paul, you had better throw out the book of Acts. You have to throw out the testimony of James, right? So uh, James, of course, testified about, about Paul, so you had to throw out his testimony. You have to throw out the Book of Luke of the Gospel of Luke, of course, because again, uh, here he is—he's endorsing Paul, etc. You've got to throw up Paul, uh, Peter's epistles, because he endorses Paul. You've got to throw up the book or the Gospel of Mark. Most likely, Peter's account uh, was Mar- was actually the book of, uh, or the, excuse me, the Gospel of Mark, and Mark was probably the scribe for that book. Of course, we have to throw out James' epistle. Uh, We see that he's very favorable to Paul in the book of Acts. So you have to throw these out and you have to throw out the book of Hebrews because we don't know, but Paul could be, he's believed by many to be the author of the book of Hebrews. I I don't know who wrote it and I don't have a dog in that fight, but many people believe that Paul actually wrote it. And of course, out of the 27 books in our New Testament, we're left with only seven. We have to throw out uh, so many. Of the, the historical books, we're left with Matthew and John. Of course, we're going to throw out the 13 epistles of Paul for obvious reasons. And then we have the latter epistles in Revelation. Out of those, we cannot accept Hebrews. We cannot accept James. We cannot accept 1st or 2nd Peter because, again, Peter endorsed Paul. So we cannot accept those. James endorsed Paul. We cannot accept that. And Hebrews maybe was written by Paul. And so we're left with 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, pretty short books, mind you. The book of Jude, very short book. And then, of course, Revelation. That's all we're left with. Only seven are left if Paul is an imposter, an imposter but thank God that he is not an imposter. Now, the, the good news is that Paul has already been vetted. According to S- Sir William Ramsey, he says the gospel of Luke is an excellent a historical document, there are reasons for placing the author of Acts among historians of the first rank, end quote, All right? So Sir William Ramsey thought that the, the gospel of Luke, and of course, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. So he's a good historian, and we don't see anything foul about Paul in the book of Acts. We know that Jesus commissioned Paul in the book of Acts, which was, of course, written by Luke. And we see in that very book that the Bereans double-checked Paul. It says in Acts 17: Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So these Jews, mind you, they're Jews who are in Berea, and when Paul comes and tells them. His gospel and all this different stuff. What do they do? They go back to the scriptures, which the scriptures that were accepted in those days, and I will discuss that a bit later. But they go back and they they check to see if what Paul was saying was in sense God breathed. It was if it was agreeing with what God had already said, and of course it did. Then we see that James examined and confirmed Paul, who would also pay for the Nazarite vows to prove. He followed Torah. It says, James says, but they've been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. Therefore, take them and be purified with them, notice that, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Now, uh, Laverne said that uh, the reason Paul is against, um, you know, haircutting because he didn't have any hair. Well, again, that that is just not the case. And then lastly, we see that Peter endorsed Paul and called Paul's writings Scripture. Now, I have this from an email that uh, he wrote. Uh, he says that Peter's epistle was corrupted by some scribe adding the bit about Paul's writings being called Scripture. That is difficult for some to understand. So this is a baseless assertion that he has. So what does Paul, or excuse me, what does Peter tell us? Again, remember Peter's uh, eyewitness account probably is the book of Mark. It is thought by many that his eyewitness account was written down in the book of Mark. Mark being the scribe, Peter being the the subject, the who is sharing his his uh, experience. He says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he says in 2 Peter 3.16, he says, as also our beloved brother Paul, which is uh, K O Agapetos Emon, which is Adelphos Paulos, right? So this is in all manuscripts, in all extant manuscripts of this we see that he is endorsing Paul. So to suggest that some scribe just added it, there, that's nowhere in the literature. There's nothing in the Greek manuscripts that would suggest that. So that's a, a baseless assertion that he has made. He goes on, as also in all his epistles, again, that's extant in all manuscripts, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of scripture. Now, again, this is extant in all manuscripts. So to suggest that this was added by some scribe is a baseless assertion. It's nowhere Laverne is saying that because he has to say that because Peter right here in this one verse undoes everything that he has said about Paul. And the truth is, is that you have to dig deeper in the Torah of all things, it's so ironic because Laverne is suggesting that he's really defending Torah, and yet to know the Torah, to know it well, is to understand Paul. Many people do not understand the Torah, and that's why they don't understand Paul. Now, let's look at some opinions, not just mine, but some other scholarly opinions about Second Peter. So I took this from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. So ancient opinions as great teachers and scholars, as Origen, Eusebius, Jerome, Athanasius, Augustine, Epiphanius, uh, Rufinus and Cyril received it as genuine. Now at the Reformation Erasmus rejected 2 Peter and Luther seems to have had doubts of its genuineness while Calvin felt some hesitancy because of the discrepancies between it and the first. Okay, so so definitely at the Reformation there was some some consternation do we accept this do we not? However, in the 4th century, we have two church councils. We have Laodicea, circa 372, and Carthage, circa 397, formally recognize it and place it in the as equal in authority with the other books in the New Testament. Now, uh, no, a number of the things that Laverna suggested is that, uh, that, uh, that we've left out all these other books, but those other books were never considered to be uh, scripture, especially when we look at the Old Testament canon. The book, like Enoch, for example, Jubilees, those were never considered to be God breathed. They were considered to be interesting and historically important, but they were not thought to be God breathed. Now, in modern opinion, the opinion of modern scholars as to references in post apostolic literature to 2 Peter is not only divided, but in many instances antagonistic. But we have Solomon, Warfield, Zahn, and others strongly hold that such references are to be found in the writings of the second century, perhaps in one or two documents of the first, of the first century. And they insist with abundant proof of support of their contention that Arrhenius, Justin Martyr, the shepherd of Hermas, and the Didache, and Clement of Rome were all acquainted with the epistle and made allusions to it in their writings. Weighing as honestly and as thoroughly as one can the citations made from that literature, one is strongly disposed to accept the evidence as legitimate and conclusive. End quote from isbe So there's nothing wrong with Second Peter. It's just that he doesn't want it because it does not support his position. Now, Laverne also said in an email from uh, June 18, 2020, he says Paul's teachings are in contradiction to what Yeshua and the apostles who walked with him taught. All right, end quote. Now, again, what I'm suggesting is that uh, I appreciate his passion, but just like Don Quixote, I think that he's, he's attacking the wrong thing. He's attacking windmills thinking they're giants. He's attacking Paul when the real bad guy is Marcion. Notice what Iranius said about Marcion. He said, with regard to those Marcionites, the followers of Marcion, who allege that Paul alone knew the truth. So, Iranius has it here. I don't think Paul alone knows the truth, but they did uh, from the Encyclopedia Britannica. Paul, according to Marcion, the was the only apostle who had rightly understood the new message of salvation as delivered by Christ. So clearly, we see that Marcion is not a good guy. He's making Paul the only guy you should listen to. And then, according to R. J. Hoffman, he s- said that Marcion stated started with the radical view that the church's teaching must conform to the gospel of Paul. And crazy, uh, this is still being taught by some uh, dispensationalists and hyper-dispensationalists. So, Laverne, I think the real enemy here is not Paul, but it's it's the hyper-dispensationalists or the Marcionites, people who maybe have never heard of Marcion, but they're following in his footsteps. This is from Dr. Doug Stauffer. Um, he says, God's specific directions for the church are found predominantly in the 13 epistles that God used Paul to pen for the church age. Now, let me interject here. I do not agree with this guy, okay? Not at all. All right, let me continue quoting. The main point to consider is whether the particular truth presented elsewhere contradicts the plain teaching of the apostle Paul to the church. If it contradicts his teachings, it cannot be church age doctrine. I do do not agree with him. And I think we should definitely fight against that. So Laverne, I hope that we can come together and fight against that kind of bad teaching. But it's not Paul that we should be fighting. It's Marcion. Now, according to the uh, Encyclopedia like Britannica, Martin was teaching that there is a radical opposition between the law and the gospel. Now, listen to this. This is from Dr. Charles Ryrie from Dallas Theological Seminary. I used to teach from his his uh, theology book. He said this quote: "The law was never given to Gentiles and is expressly done away for the Christian." End quote. Oh my goodness! I mean, I'm oh, this is crazy. How can he say this? And yet this is one of the big, huge voices in evangelical Christianity. So I totally disagree with uh, Dr. Ryrie. I, I think he's absolutely flat out wrong. But the problem is not Paul. The problem is Marcionism, not Paul. Uh, we Here we have uh, doctrine.org, Jesus versus Paul. This, this will make your skin, skin crawl too. Quote, the messages of Paul and Jesus were fundamentally different. Reconciliation of their messages cannot be done. Paul emphasized the church, the body of Christ. as terminology was entirely absent from the teaching of Jesus and uh, the 12 and unknown until the ascended Lord revealed it to Paul. Peter, James, John, Jude, etc., did not teach it and knew nothing of it until they learned it from Paul. Oh, end quote. This is terrible. This is such awful doctrine. And it's simply not true. It's straight up Marcionism. And then we have, again, Dr. Doug Stauffer. He says, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom during his earthly ministry. He instructed his apostles and disciples to preach the same gospel. No Bible-believing preacher today preaches the gospel of the kingdom. So he says that we're not supposed to teach what, what Jesus was teaching. I see a red flag. And I continue, quote, he preaches instead the gospel of the grace of God, end quote. Wow. Again, I totally disagree with Dr. Doug Stauffer. All right, so let's just summarize all of this. So anti-Paulists are fighting Marcionism and dispensational theology, which is rampant, to be fair. It is rampant in mainstream Christianity. But it's not Paul. Paul is not the problem, but the Marcionistic teachings. So the law was done away with, is what they say. Now, again, this is what the Marcionists say and and dispensational uh, theology says, is that the law was done away with. But biblical theology says, no, it's eternal. According to Marcionism and dispensational theology, there's a disjunction between law and grace. No, there is a harmony. In fact, Uh, point number three, they say, the Marcionists, the Jews and the church are two different entities. No, the Jews and the church unite. Uh, Number four, Marcion and his followers coined the terms New Testament and Old Testament. Well, we know that the Hebrew Bible and the apostles' writings are a continuum. Point five. The Marcionists suggest that the New Testament scriptures were superior to the Old Testament. That's not true. The New Testament scriptures have the same weight as the so-called Old Testament scriptures. And then point number six, the gracious God, this is according to Marcionists, The Marcionists say that the gracious God of the New Testament sent forth his son to free us from the bondage of the Old Testament law. This was nailed to the cross. Not true. What we know from biblical theology is that the penalty for sin was nailed to the cross. not god's commandments and my last point number seven he taught that paul was the final authority in scripture even above jesus this is what marcionists say as we've seen but again it's not true the biblical theology is that god is the lawgiver and final authority paul is a faithful commentator on what god said all right so i'm going to stop there for now
2: all right right on time
0: let me go ahead Yes. (laughs)
2: Well, I'm trying. So that was was great, great, great opening statements by our two debaters, and so now we're going to move to uh, rebuttal, and so Laverne will uh, start the first rebuttal, and you will each have eight minutes.
0: You're still muted. You're still muted, Laverne.
1: Okay. Thank you. There you go. I uh, obviously disagree with Doug's assessment about uh, Marcion. I don't think he's the problem, but rather it is Paul himself. Uh, when you look at, that, as I explained, why Paul did some of the things he did, uh, it the whole bit about being able to eat food sacrificed to idols, when you understand the problem with it, you would then understand why it seems like he has. At least two very different personalities. Yes, there are times that Paul seems to say the law is intact, the law is good, and so on. So it's absolutely true. You can find passages where Paul is all for the law, all for keeping God's commandments. The problem is, you can also find passages where that's not the case. And I gave examples of a couple of them when he talks about the law being torn down. Him tearing the law down and then building it back up. How that is, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but you're basically spitting on the cross, making what Christ did null and void. Uh, But some of the other things that Paul, I want to get back to that he taught that nobody else did. Does anyone believe that if you convert somebody, if you bring them to Christ, that they owe you your very soul? Because this is what Paul taught told philemon it's a very short book uh only one chapter you can find it and this is because paul also taught that he was a person's spiritual father if he was the one to have first brought them to christ he said even if you have ten thousand teachers after me i am still your spiritual father yet christ said we're not supposed to call any man father and it's because of what paul taught that we have the Catholic Church calling the priest father. People who come to the priest, they're supposed to call him father. And this comes entirely from Paul's uh, teaching. And it contradicts, it is against the teaching of Christ. And then because he thinks of himself as being someone's father, spiritual father, he feels he can then tell Philemon that he owes him his very soul. If that's not heresy, if that's not satanic, then I don't know what is. But other things that Paul taught, and again, these are things that nobody else taught. Nobody ever made the claim that somebody owes them their very soul. Looking at how tongues are uh, worked today, supposedly praying in. The spirit praying in tongues. This is something that comes entirely from Paul. No other apostle taught murmuring like Paul does. Romans 6, 8. I'm sorry, Romans 26, 8. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep. Four words. For anyone who speaks, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. This is where we get the uh, charismatic movement today, where they're rolling around on the floor laughing like crazy saying that they're praying in the spirit this is all the work of the holy spirit this idea where people are just spewing out nonsense it is because of the teaching of paul and they believe they are praying to god praying in a language that only god understands this is what's being taught and it's holy solely because of the false teaching of paul and as i said the reason paul's doing these things Groaning and making these noises it has nothing to do with the holy spirit but rather satanic demons and it's because he's opened himself up he's given legal right to demons to possess him to oppress him because he was eating food sacrificed to idols he sat down and he feasted with them so we see Things like this, the way the charismatic movement's going, so many people believe they are praying in the spirit when they could very well be cursing God because they don't know what they are saying. And I believe this is what Paul was doing himself. How often when he was making these groanings and murmurings was he actually cursing Yahweh? Paul, uh, that's something else that only he taught. He says, uh, we can decide for ourselves What day we want to celebrate the Sabbath on. He says, uh, I'll read what he said. uh, Galatians 2.16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. This, I mean, I I don't know how people can't see that this is not of Yahweh. Romans 3.15. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. In his own mind. This is very similar to saying, do what your heart tells you. But Scripture tells us the heart is an evil, deceitful thing. And by telling someone just to do what they feel is right in their mind, he is telling them to follow their own deceitful, wicked heart. Paul met on, uh, this is Acts 20, uh, verse 7. Paul met on the first day of the week to share in the Lord's Prayer. This is where we get the idea that the Catholic Church was able to change the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first. It all has to do with the writings of Paul. Just one more where Paul teaches and nobody else does. Paul gave instructions to turn a believer over to Satan so that his sinful nature could be destroyed and he himself saved. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, 1 to 7. What other apostle agreed with this? What other apostle taught that you could turn somebody over to Satan so that his sinful nature could be destroyed? That is absolutely ridiculous, and it only comes from Paul. Every teaching of easy believism comes from Paul. Now, about one more minute. Oh, that's it? Man, that went fast. Uh, I need, uh, 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 oh, the canon. Talking about how the canon was picked. The canon that we have from the Old Testament, it's the same that the Pharisees used. Does it make any sense to choose for your books, for the Old Testament, the very same books that the Pharisees had for their canon? Because they were unable to recognize Christ for who he is. Why would you think that they had the correct canon? It makes no sense whatsoever. And the people who chose those books, you know, a little bit earlier than Constantine and at the time of Constantine, they were siding with the Pharisees. As I mentioned, Enoch, there are more than 100 passages in the New Testament that find their precedence in the writings of Enoch. So obviously Yahushua and the apostles considered them to be scripture, considered it to be inspired. So why wouldn't we? Uh, Okay, I'll uh, end there. Man, I got so much much more to talk about.
2: Thank you. All right. So, Doug, you have eight minutes for your rebuttal time. And your mic is muted as well.
0: Thank you, <laughs> thank you uh, again. Uh, I I appreciate that Laverne has a, a great deal of passion. Uh, it's interesting that he said that people won't give up Paul because of pride, and I wonder if he won't give up giving up Paul for that very same reason. Uh, I I don't believe that he is really understanding what Paul is actually saying. When we take a deeper look at these things, we see that Paul is is, is in lockstep with what God has already said, and I would recommend. Spending more time in the Bible and in the New Testament and the writings that are considered to be God's word than these extra biblical, because then we'll see that there's an incredible correlation between them. Notice what in Leviticus 11, he says, this is the law of the animals to distinguish between the unclean, which is akatharton in Greek, and the clean between the animal you may eat be, be eaten and the man, animal that may not be eaten. Notice what Paul says in Colossians 3.5. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth fornication. Uncleanness. He uses that same exact word to show us that he is, in fact, supporting what Scripture says. Now, I understand that a lot of pastors would teach this differently. But that's their problem because they're following Marcion. But Paul was not a Marcionist. Paul was very much a Torah believer. And he goes on. And then we see in Ephesians 5.3, but fornication and all uncleanness, akatharsia, it's the same thing. He continues to espouse and to talk about what God has already said. He talks about how heart circumcision, that's what's always been necessary. In Deuteronomy 10.16, therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart, be stiff-necked no longer. Well, we see this in Jeremiah 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskin of your heart. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter four. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, that is the Jews, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith. I mean, there's so many points that I wish I had more time. Uh, We see that Paul celebrated the feast Quite contrary to this idea that Paul got rid of the Sabbath, that is patently false. I just, I, it really kind of grinds me that you'd say that because it's not true. Paul celebrated the feast and he exhorted others as well. He says, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. First Corinthians 5 8, therefore let us keep the feast, etc. Now, notice this is one where he's totally twisted this thing around because. Laverne is fighting against the windmills. He's doing a Don Quixote, and he's fighting against the perceived giants out there. He's, he's fighting against the wrong interpretation that so many evangelical teachers are, are spitting. But this is not what Paul is saying. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, not according, uh, me, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Now here, this is the important part. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So he's saying, don't anybody cheat you from keeping these things. Paul is saying, yes, keep the festivals, keep the new moons, keep the Sabbaths, and don't let people through human philosophy, through traditions of men, and principles of the world steal these things from you. So again, Laverne is simply twisting what people have already twisted. He he's fighting against the twisting. He's not fighting against Paul. He's fighting against what he believes to be Paul. He he's fighting against the ghost of Marcionism, not Paul. And if we see here that God says that his holy day is, of course, the Sabbath. So we already understand that. Now he he totally misused Clementine's um uh scripture here he says that you know Clementine was was in his homilies that he, he's putting things there to test us and he's putting false things into scripture that is so not true and he's misused this ancient text so i have on on this side right here of my screen on the right side uh this is from Clementine's homilies chapter uh chapter 13 and peter answered if the scriptures a prophet speak of gods they do so to try those who hear for thus it is written, if there arise among you a prophet giving signs and wonders, and that sign and wonder shall then come to pass. And he say to you, let us go after other gods and worship. This is from Deuteronomy 13, right? And, and so then he says, thus we, Simon, can be led astray neither by the scriptures nor by anyone else, nor are we deceived into the mission of many gods, nor do we agree to any statement that is made against God. So all, can I, all I can say is Laverne has misused this text. I don't know. I don't think he did it in in spite or in malice. I think he just missed it. He misunderstood what this text is actually saying. But Clementine is not saying that God put false things in the Bible to test us. He's saying, look, there will be false teachers who will come around and say, let's go after that other God and let's follow him. I don't have time to, to go on. Now, he makes this claim that Paul's physical appearance, as well as that of James, the brother of Christ, and um, he you know he, he's against long hair, but he's not. He's not against long hair. Uh, that's just simply not the case. Uh, we see that people, all these myriads are zealous for the law. Paul is not against cutting your hair. I don't have time to get into that. I want to get to the uh, concerning meat sacrifice to idols because Laverne has made a big deal about this. And again, it's a misunderstanding of what Paul is actually saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, now concerning things offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, as yet he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father of whom all are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what Jeremiah says, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He has made the earth by his power and he has established by wisdom. So God is saying, look, these, these other so-called gods, and there are other gods, there are these, you know, angelic fallen powers, we understand that, which is all throughout scripture. He's saying, look, really, they're, they're not, they're not real gods. They don't have real power compared to Yehovah, but they have You know, they're out there and they're doing these things. So Paul is saying, look, you know, these being offered to idols, it's nothing. Now, understand, understand what Paul's saying. However, there is not in everyone the knowledge for for some with consciousness of the idol until now. It is a thing offered to an idol and their conscious being weak is defiled. So if you you cannot eat it, if you know it. okay. and this is where we have in Numbers 25 that they went after these gods, the God of uh, Baal Peor they ate and they bowed down to their gods, those people understood that they were eating food offered to idols. In Acts fifteen twenty nine, abstain from things offered to idols, from blood and from things strangled. If you know that it's offered to an idol, it's no good. Paul is saying, if you don't know, then don't ask, right? That's basically what he's saying, all right? If you don't know, then don't ask uh, that it is uh, something that you cannot eat. I <laughs> got turn About up, like, one more minute. Okay. If I could just turn off my timer. <laughs> I'm trying. Okay. So, um, so he says, whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions. All right. So you see some meat just hanging there in the meat market. All right. Don't go and say, hey, was this, was this meat sacrificed to an idol? And they say, yeah, then you cannot eat it. But if, if you don't know, and it was just, and you don't know, it's not like hey, the meat market says, you know, hey, this is, um, you know, Baal's meat market, right? Don't go to Baal's meat market. But if you just go to a regular meat market and it's generic meat and you don't know that it was sacrificed to an idol, nobody said, hey, this was sacrificed to an idol, eat this. If you don't know, then don't ask. And then it's nothing. And I agree with that. I totally agree with Paul. There's nothing magical that's put in it. But if you know that that was sacrificed to an idol, then by no means do not eat that food because it's it, it would not be good. So, beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who was weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? So, that is the bottom line. If you know that it was sacrificed to an idol, do not eat it. If you don't know, that's fine. It's not a problem.
2: All right. So I yield my
0: time, so whatever I have.
2: Yes. Uh, we'll have uh, responses now, and those are going to be kept to about seven minutes. If you would go ahead, Laverne.
1: I need 70, not seven. Uh, but okay. Uh, just going back to the uh, food sacrifice to idols, which you just finished here. Uh, that's reading the weight of the pages, reading between the lines to come up with that uh That explanation. It simply is not true. Paul clearly states that as long as your conscience is clean and you don't have a problem with it, it, and you're not with people that don't have a problem with it, then go ahead and eat it. He's saying there's no power to the idols. But when we read Clementine's homilies, we find that's not true. It's why Yahushua states in uh, the, the book of Revelation, and he condemns churches for doing it, which is going to bring me to another point. Uh, Actually, no, wait a second before I do that. I want to talk about this idea that you have to throw out the book of Acts if you throw out Paul's uh, writings. If you have a problem with Paul, you also have to have a problem with uh, the gospel of Luke and Acts. Well, that simply is not true because it is with these books that we actually see evidence of Paul being false. And the reason is because of God instances. Now, many people want to call these coincidences but i tell you there are contradictions and falsehoods in the bible but what there isn't is uh coincidences everything is there for a reason god places these red flags so we can know the truth so we can rightly divide when somebody is inserting uh incorrect doctrine incorrect teachings and falsehoods just a few few of these paul fits the bill for three warnings that are given The yeast of the Pharisees. Christ warns about this. Paul was a Pharisee. We are warned about wolves coming in dressed as sheep. The tribe that Paul is from is from the the tribe of Benjamin. And the symbol for that is a wolf. We also know about the beast and that Rome was one of the beasts described in uh, the vision in uh, the book of Daniel so paul is all of these things he's a pharisee he's from the tribe of benjamin the symbol for a wolf and the beast who is rome he's a roman citizen when paul was uh blinded what house did he go to what does scripture tell us he went to the house of judas and who was the man sent to heal him ananias what do we find about these people previous to this well judas is of course the one who Betrayed Christ now. This obviously is not the same Judas, but we are told he's uh, At the house of Judas. This is the God giving us a red flag saying this guy is false Ananias prior to this we read in the book of acts that Ananias and his wife were killed because they lied to the Holy Spirit about selling their property Lydia from Thyatira one of the first converts that we are told that Paul makes uh, and we're given their name is a woman from Thyatira named Lydia. She's a rich merchant selling purple clothing. Well, we know that the great prostitute in Revelation is described as uh, having uh, the purple. Lydia was this rich merchant from Thyatira. And one of the churches that Christ condemns in the book of Revelation is from, or is the church of Thyatira. And he condemns a prophetess convincing people that they can eat food sacrificed to idols. Well, Paul clearly taught that you could because the idols weren't real. And so this was passed on to his converts. And Lydia then, it's pretty obvious, this is God letting us know through the book of Acts that she went to Thyatira, became a prophetess, and taught exactly what Paul taught. Paul claims to have spent three years in the Arabian desert. And he claims to have saw Christ himself in first Corinthians uh, chapter nine, verse one. But Christ tells us not to believe someone if they claim to see him after he's ascended. Yet Paul says, just as the other apostles saw Christ, so too did he. This is a, a, a clear indication. It should be that he's a false apostle. Now, Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting lost here. Uh, The book of Romans, it's said to be the the Roman path to salvation. Well, I tell you a better name for it is the Babylonian path to destruction. Because what Paul teaches, the different forms of easy believism, these paths are leading to destruction and Paul's the reason for it. Every teaching of easy believism that we have is due to Paul's teachings. So we should not believe Paul simply for the reason that he claims to have been able to see him in the desert. This idea that he saw Christ after he had ascended. This is his way of trying to convince people he's as good as the other apostles. He insults them. He he belittles them by calling them super apostles. This is him mocking the apostles. And Doug, I'm afraid you're wrong. We do find in the Acts of Paul and Thecla that Paul is described as being bald. And this is the reason he teaches that we're not supposed to have long hair. And it's pretty clear that he does teach this, that men are not supposed to have long hair. That what, what Doug is doing, because he, he, he believes there's no contradictions in the Bible, he has to twist what Paul says, even a simple, clear-cut uh, teaching that we can eat food, sacrificed to idols, he has to twist it to make it sound like he's saying something else, reading between the lines. Now regarding— One minute. Okay. As I say, it is actually Luke's writings, especially in the book of Acts, that when we read it, that it reveals Paul to be false. He gives us these three different uh, 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 stories of uh, his conversion, Uh, you know, what happened on the uh, the path or the road to Damascus. Paul claimed that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. The, he was stressing in Romans eleven thirteen that he was the apostle to the Gentiles, putting himself above the others, even though we know that Peter also said that he was chosen to be an apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, just the, the things that Paul did attacking Peter like he did, claiming that he was a hypocrite. Anybody that believes Peter was a hypocrite? Well, I received a a few weeks ago an email that you might be interested in. There was this prince from Nigeria who says he's got $25 million in a bank account, but he can't get it out because he has some fees, he has to pay, and he needs $2,500, and he'll he'll reward me with a million dollars if I can help him out. If you believe Peter was a hypocrite, like Paul describes, well, you're... You're believing a false apostle. There's no way Paul was a hypocrite, or I mean, Peter was a hypocrite that Paul claims. Okay. All right.
2: Thank you. All right, Doug, you'll have uh, seven minutes for a response yourself. Okay. Thank you. All right. Um,
0: so I want to talk about uh, baptism for the dead. So Laverne talked about how baptism of the dead, which the Mormons do, uh, is uh, Paul's fault. But it's not the Mormons fault. It's uh, uh, misunderstanding what this was all about. And this is understanding. This is where you have to spend time doing scholarly research to understand what this is really talking about. And again, to be fair, many people have misunderstood this, including the Mormons. What is he actually getting at? What he's saying is, otherwise, what will they do? who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead, for the dead? He's not talking about the Mormon style, of being baptized for the dead, what he's talking about here is the washing of the body when a person has died, preparing them for burial. Isn't that what the ladies did for Jesus? Yes, they they washed his body and they prepared it. Why? Because they believed in the resurrection. They were not going and doing Mormon, you know, baptism for the dead stuff. Not at all. Uh, they were baptized. They were they were washing the body. And to be baptized means to simply immerse. So they were taking the body and they were cleaning it, preparing it, washing it, making it ready for uh, for burial. <clears throat> now, um, again, I'm going to keep hammering this home that Marcionism is the real enemy here. It's not Paul, but it's Marcion's influence that has influenced roughly the last 2,000 years of interpretation about Paul. So again, Paul is of the problem, but it's what Marcion had to say about him and the Marcion's influence. So this is from Iranius, and that the Lord did not abrogate the natural precepts of the law for he remarked, it has been said to them of old time, do not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who hath looked upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in his heart for all these do not contain or imply an opposition to and an overturning of the precepts of the past as Marcion's followers do strenuously maintain. Now, again, I have, Iranius, uh, he says, with regard to the Marcionites, who alleged that Paul alone knew the truth, right? So, uh, we, we've talked about that one. I'm going to go on here to Tertullian. Marcion acquired his perverse opinions, not from a master, but his master from his opinion. He displayed a hatred against the Jews most solemn day. He was only professedly following the Creator as being his Christ in this very hatred of the Sabbath. It wasn't Paul that got rid of the Sabbath. That is so fundamentally wrong. It was Marcion that got rid of it, not Paul. Paul kept the Sabbath. Paul taught Torah through and through and through. I won't go into that because there's too much in there. And again, it was all about Marcion who really was getting these things uh, messed up. I won't go into all of these. This is the uh, Catholic mirror. Now this is from uh, 1893 and there, this is amazing. The Catholic mirror is actually arguing that, this, that the seventh-day Sabbath is what, what the Bible is actually teaching. Notice here uh, in the middle, right here, it says, Today, mainstream Christianity teaches that Christians are no longer required to observe the seventh-day Sabbath because they deliberately misconstrue this verse to mean Christ has given them rest, or as some say, a release from commandment keeping. This false claim feeds the premise that Jesus has fulfilled the law, quote-unquote. For them. As a result, people are told the Christian has entered into a spiritual rest from sin and that Jesus himself is their spiritual Sabbath. All right, there's obviously much more I can say. I don't have time, but I want to drive home this point that it is not Paul. Paul is not the problem, it's Marcionism. Laverne doesn't understand this, but he's fighting against Marcionism, not against Paul. Not against Paul. Paul kept the Torah, and I think Paul is probably spinning in his grave right now. Because he has all these people that saying that, well, Paul said the law was done away with. When Paul never said that, he kept saying, keep the law. Keeping the God's commandments is what matters. You know, I got to keep this feast. And then he's saying, don't let anybody rob you from uh, keeping the, the commandments, the Sabbaths, uh, by worldly uh, philosophy and traditions of men. Paul continues to say that. And as for him being bald, okay, the guy was bald. Maybe he didn't like people that had hair. But he was never teaching that you that you had to do something about that. That's just patently false. And I again we don't have time to go through it all, but Paul is a true apostle. He has been taught improperly. Yes, I agree with that. The influence of Marcion is huge. And we see that influence in places like Dallas Theological Seminary. We hear the those messages uh from many pastors around the world who were saying that Paul was against the Torah. But that's not Paul speaking. That's Marcion speaking. It's the ghost of Marcion that you're fighting, not Paul himself. So I would challenge you. Are you willing to take a new look at this? Are you willing to look through the lens of Marcion and say, whoa, it's Marcion who was the guy that was doing false teachings, not Paul himself. Um, as for total depravity, uh, again, that that's... I don't have time to even get into that. But that is not because of Paul. That uh, is because of Augustine, who then gave that lousy teaching to, uh, to um, John Calvin and, of course, Luther and all these other things. All this other stuff you're talking about in regards to uh, speaking in tongues and all this different stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of abuse. I totally agree with that. But that's because people don't know their Bible. It's not because Paul did something wrong. People don't know their Bible and they don't, they don't take the time to go back to the book of numbers where the Holy spirit fell on 70 people and they started speaking erratically we, where Saul uh, had the Holy spirit fall upon him. And he started speaking erratically is Saul among the prophets, right? I mean, there's all this stuff, but you have to go back and you have to compare it. And so don't fight the, the stupid practices that our people aren't doing by saying that it's all Paul's fault. That's a cop out that's not doing good scholarship, it's just saying it's Paul's fault. That's the the easy, cheap way out. The harder thing is to really try to reconcile what Paul is saying when you don't understand it and say, maybe I missed something. Maybe Paul really was a scholar and I just didn't understand what he's saying. That's what we have to do is understand what Paul is saying in relation to the Torah. And what you discover is that Paul was saying, keep the Sabbath, keep the feasts, Keep the commandments. Now, that's very counterculture. I understand that. But that's what Paul was actually teaching. All and right. I've lost a number of friends because of that. But thank you. Thank you, Chris.
2: Okay. So uh, now we're going to give each of you 12 minutes for a closing statement.
1: All right. All so right, Laverne. All right, I uh, would like to talk about the passage that uh, everyone says really confirms that Paul is a true apostle, that Peter supported him. Well, I I just want to read it uh, just so we can really see what was being said. Uh, Beginning in verse 14. uh, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember our Lord, uh, or I'm sorry, and remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends, be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Now, of course, what I did there is I left out that bit about uh, Paul. But if you read it with that bit about Paul being out, it reads just as fluid. uh, It it reads as if that passage was not supposed to be there. Now, think about this. He actually calls, supposedly, Paul's writings scripture. Now, think about this calling Paul's writings scriptures before he had even passed away. There's simply no way that any of the apostles called another apostle's writings scripture. Scripture was not decided upon until long after a person was dead. Only then, uh, after a period of time, would a a writing be determined to be Scripture. So this idea that he he was saying these things about Paul is absolutely foolish. We find in the book of Jeremiah that it warns about the pen of the lying scribe. That's how it describes it, the pen of the lying scribe in the book of Jeremiah. And this notion that Doug keeps trying to put forward, that Paul taught the law is still intact and he was all for it. It's true that we can find passages that that happens. But the problem is when you believe there can't be any contradictions, what happens is you end up reading between the lines. You end up reading what you believe rather than believing what you read. And that's what people are doing today in their effort to Prove that Paul is a true apostle. You have to just do away with completely some of what Paul wrote. And others you have to twist to make it seem like he's still conforming to the, uh, to the obedience of the law. Saying that he, he didn't do away with the Sabbath. I mean, I read it clearly what the passage says. When Paul says, uh, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. This is what Paul taught, and there's no getting around it. You cannot twist that to make it seem like Paul was saying you have to keep the Sabbath holy. He clearly is not. And there are many passages like that. Like I said, it is like Paul has a, a two personalities, a minimum, the way he changes things. Now, going back to uh, what supposedly Peter was saying. Uh, so that, be careful that you won't be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your secure. Or no, I'm sorry, that wasn't uh, Paul. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom of god uh given him speak of these things in all or speaking of these things in all of his letters well did paul speak of those things in all of his letters of course not some of his comments are hard to understand and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different just as they do with other parts of scripture He's he's calling this clearly not writings, as some people claim, but he's calling it scripture, which is something Peter would never have done. Now, what's interesting is if you, again, go outside of the Bible and you read the epistle of Peter to James, he tells James that even while he's yet alive, people are twisting his teachings. And he directs James not to give his writings to anybody until they prove themselves worthy. And James's response to the elders was that Peter's writings were not to be given to anyone until they proved themselves for six years. Can you imagine that? Not getting these writings of Peter until they proved themselves for six years. And then when we look at prophecies outside of the Bible, this is why it's so important to go outside so we can see. If there's other prophecies about the church itself, and what we see is that there are indeed. In the Coptic Apocalypse of Peter, our Messiah talks to Peter and he, and he warns him. He's prophesying. You are going to be acknowledged in for your wisdom, but you are also going to be blasphemed. And we see that this is exactly what has happened with Peter. He has been blasphemed. He's been blasphemed by Paul. And when you look at what he uh, supposedly said to Peter, it goes against everything that the church has taught and what Christ taught. If you have a problem with a brother, you're supposed to go to them on your own individually and ask them to repent, tell them the problem. If that doesn't work, you're then supposed to go back with a second person, confront them. If that doesn't work, then you go to the elders of the church. That's when you, you make it public. That's not what Paul did. Paul says, uh, according to him, he went right to Peter, you know, you're doing this wrong. And then what's he do? He writes a letter about it, claiming that, you know, Peter, this so-called super apostle, was a hypocrite. And this is trying to elevate himself and trying to condemn, trying to make another apostle, a true apostle, look bad. This is how Paul uh, attacked people. And it's exactly what Christ warned about in the Coptic Apocalypse of Peter. But he goes on to say even more. He warns that there's going to be a man who is going to preach a manifold dogma and is going to lead people astray. Well, that is exactly what I've been telling you and everyone watching that Paul did. He taught a manifold dogma. This is why we have thousands of different uh, Christian denominations today. It's all from the writings of Paul. And it's not that they're getting things wrong. They are actually doing and going by what Paul teaches. The problem is he taught a manifold dogma so that you can pick and choose and you can end up going in many different directions from what Paul taught. You can choose to keep the law because there's sometimes he says the law is still intact, But then there's other times he says it's not so you can according to your own cardinal nature pick and choose what you want to believe and go in any direction that your heart takes you paul taught a manifold dogma just as christ warned in the coptic apocalypse of peter he also uh, christ also warned that there're going to be multitudes of false teachers and they're all going to each lead multitudes of people astray and that's what we see happening today there are other prophecies that explain how the church is supposed to be established. We find in uh, the book of the words of Gad this year the depiction of Christ as a lamb that's given a crown that contains uh, a, a crown made up of three shepherds and 12 chains. And these 12 chains are made of gold and silver. Well, this represents the 12 apostles. This is a prophecy of what Christ was going to do. The three shepherds, they represent uh, two different things. One is the different hats, the different uh, uh, positions that Christ would have. He was king, he was priest, and he was prophet. But then we also find in the Dead Sea Scrolls a very similar uh, prophecy. It says that the Yahad would be established when three priests and 12 laymen come on the scene. And this is why Christ chose 12 laymen. It was to fulfill prophecy found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the three priests were Christ himself. He was definitely one. He is the high priest. John the Baptist was the first one. And James, the brother of Christ, was the third priest. Because we find in uh, the church father's writings that James, was able to go into the holy of holies that he was a priest so these are the three priests everything christ did was to fulfill prophecy and some of these prophecies are not found in the bible this is how the church was to be established not with a 13th apostle not with paul we find in the book of revelation that there would be the 12 names or the names of the 12 apostles on the foundations of the the new jerusalem not 13 If Paul had this great influence on the church today, do you not think there'd be some kind of prophecy about him uh, being this super uh, apostle who would overshadow the other apostles? But there's no such prophecy. There is no prophecy of the kinds of things that Paul has done. As I explained, someone teaching a manifold dogma. There are so many warnings, wolves in sheep's clothing. The Didache says it's a little bit differently than what Christ did. It says there will be, Sheep that turn into wolves and that's exactly what Paul did. Yes. He was accepted in the beginning But in one of his later or one of his last epistles Paul even states that everyone in Asia has abandoned me. They deserted me This is what Paul says. Well, the reason is because he was recognized as a false apostle And I want to go back to the God instances that uh, something I missed before Two more minutes. Okay We find that Paul is in Jerusalem and James tells him that because of everything we've heard, you have to prove yourself. And so he went with a few people who were finishing their vows and it was a seven day process. But before Paul could finish the the very act that was going to prove that he was teaching the truth, God interferes. And he ends up a mob attacking him and he gets arrested. So before he could finish the task that would prove that he was teaching the truth, God interferes. This is not a coincidence. Paul was not able to finish that task. And it's God's way of letting us know that Paul was a false apostle, among all the other things I already talked about. My brothers and sisters, this is it's so important. We need to look at really Paul not with the idea that there can't be any contradictions in the bible that's something that's been handed down you could never come to that conclusion on your own if somebody were to read the bible on their own for the first time without any outside influence read it from the first word in genesis to the end of the book of revelation You could never conclude on your own that there are no contradictions in the Bible. That's simply something that has to be spoon fed to you. And you also would never conclude that this book, the Bible contains all of God's written word. Rather, you would come away after reading the Bible on your own, wanting to know what these other books are that are referenced. You'd want to know why there's certain writings in the New Testament that uh, you can't find their reference or where it is being taught from in the Old Testament. You would want to know all of these other books for example enoch you would have a craving for these other books you would never accept the lie that the bible is sufficient and it includes all of god's written word that every word is inspired and no contradictions that's something spoon fed to believers all right uh, i'll uh, end it there
2: all right excellent closing statement And so we're back to you now, Doug, if you're there. Yeah, there you are. All right, 12 minutes, sir. And unmute, please.
0: Yes, thank you. (laughs) Unmute, okay. So um, look, we've we've gone through the major points that uh, Laverne brought up. Uh, I'm just gonna, quickly go through some of these just to remind us right so paul he says that paul says that the law was done away with no paul says that we uphold the law we're supposed to keep the commandments okay all of this the christ is the goal he's the goal of the law for righteousness so he's telling us look if you want to be like christ keep the torah he's not getting rid of it he's saying to keep it he's calling the law law holy the commandment holy and just and good He's not saying that it's become death. He's like, certainly not. It's not the law's fault. So he's not getting rid of that. Again, if Paul were a false apostle, uh, I'm sorry, you cannot have it both ways, Laverne. You cannot keep the the book of Acts and reject Paul. It doesn't work that way because Luke was a, a traveling companion of Paul. They were friends. And so everything becomes suspect if you're going to throw out Paul. We have all these different uh, things to consider. We have very little left in the New Testament. Uh, And let me just say this, that it it was quite well established for the Old Testament that the 22 books in the Hebrew Bible or the 39 in our version of that Bible, those books were the ones that were accepted. The Book of Enoch was never considered to be sacred scripture, never. It never had this stamp of thus saith the Lord on it. All right, So many of the other books, Jubilees that never had that sense of sacred uh, writ. It was just not that way. And as far as the, the Pharisees, again, this is an under misunderstanding of, of the historical context in the first century. and I don't have time to get into it all, but you have to go back. I'd encourage more study on that. You, you're coming up short on understanding the first century and what the Pharisees were. They were actually the good guys. They were the good guys. They didn't get everything right, obviously. And you had different flavors of Pharisees. But by and large, they were the ones that were zealous for God's laws, unlike the Sadducees. So, again, Paul has already been vetted. We've seen this. Jesus commissioned Paul. The Bereans double-checked Paul. James examined and confirmed Paul. Uh, As far as, you know, getting interrupted, I think that's beside the point. Paul did what he was supposed to do in order to show that he walks orderly and is keeping the law. He did whatever they told him to do to prove that he was legit. And he said that he believes all things written uh, in the Torah and the prophets. He said that. He lived it. He did it. Uh, Again, saying that, you know, you're, you're taking this, but you do not provide any scriptural evidence. You're making an assertion here, a baseless assertion, that somehow Second Peter was tampered with. And yet you've brought us no textual evidence to support your claim. A- in every extant manuscript that we have, all of these words are in there. The, the important words, certainly. Right? That our beloved brother Paul. That's in every manuscript that we have of 2 Peter. So you can't just make things up. And that's what you're doing is you're making things up, saying that, well, you know, some scribe just put that in there. No, they didn't. You want that to be true because if 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16 is true, then the entirety of your argument falls apart. The whole thing falls apart. And so you have no textual evidence. At all, we've looked at Isba. We see that there is tremendous uh, scholarly uh, backing to that. Now, concerning Paul about uncleanness and things, again, he was echoing what the book of Levit- Leviticus was saying. I understand that there are many uh, evangelical teachers, etc., pastors, whatever, that suggest that that Paul was throwing up the law. I understand that, and I think we would stand united against their claim. But where we are obviously on different sides of the, of the fence here is to suggest that you're saying that Paul was, yeah, getting rid of the law. And I'm like, no, Paul wasn't. And again, this is a deeper understanding, is that Paul is saying to keep your mind on things of, above and to stay away from fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. These are all things that are found in the Torah. He says it again in the Ephesians 5. Talks about this the circumcising the foreskin of your heart. He says this. And then he says, I want to keep the coming feast. I, you know, As to your idea of having two different Pauls, you're making that up. There are not two different Pauls. The one you are fighting against is Marcion's version of Paul. It's not the real historical biblical Paul. You're fighting against Marcion's Paul. Not the Bible's Paul. That's the difference. So you see two different Pauls. The reason you do is because you're fighting Marcion's version of Paul. Paul again says, let us therefore keep the feast. Now, I want to deal with this, Colossians 2.8, because you're twisting this. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. Who are the Colossians? Do you think they were... They were uh, God-fearing people that were keeping the Torah before he came? No. We know that the people in Colossae were not keeping the Torah. They were pagans. So they went from paganism to now being a follower of Yeshua. And when they did that, they started keeping the festivals, the new moons, and the Sabbaths. So you claim to you know read it right there, but you, you've seen the glass half empty instead of half full. Paul is not arguing against the festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths. He's saying, look, don't let anybody judge you in regard to these things, right? Keep them. Don't let them, uh, you know, steal them from the basic principles of the world and the commandments of men. The commandments of men. What are God's commandments? Well, he tells us, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure in my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, So what are the commandments of God? Keep the Sabbath. And Paul's like, don't let anybody steal this from you. You're looking at this half empty instead of half full. Uh, Romans 14. Again, I would agree with you that there are many teachers who claim that Romans 14 suggests that, well, you can keep any day you want to. It doesn't matter. That's not what Paul is saying. It's Marcion who has that particular view, and that's the lens that many people are are, uh, interpreting Paul and Romans 14 through, but that's not what he's saying. He says, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So what's the comparison? Meat versus vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, again, meat versus vegetables. He's not talking about eating pork or something. That's nothing to do here. It's about uh, meat, kosher meat, that is, and vegetables. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. He He who observes the day, what day? The day of fasting. He's talking about fasting. That's the whole context. It's not about the Sabbath. That's something that the Marcionites have thrown in there. And that's who you're fighting against. He who observes the day, fasting, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. See there? It's kind of like this sandwich. You've got food on top. You've got food below. And you've got this day in the middle. What day are we talking about? The day of fasting. It's not the day of the Sabbath. So again, you're misunderstanding what Paul is saying. And I understand why you're doing that. Because many, many, many teachers, the vast majority, would say that Paul is talking about the Sabbath. But he's not. He's talking about a day of fasting. Right? And so he says, uh, he who eats, eats to the Lord. He gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to the Lord. It's about fasting. That's what he's talking about. And then he goes on. He says, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord that there is nothing unclean. Now, that's what the New King James says. That's incorrect. The word is common, which is kunun, of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, again, that's not the word. It's common or koinon kunun. To him, it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, what is the food? that We already have the definition of food, animals that may be eaten. Leviticus chapter 11. You're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food, again, animals that may be eaten, the one of whom Christ died. So again, there's a whole different discussion in there. Now, the baptism of the dead, I've already discussed that. Uh, this Paul was not saying that we should do the baptism for the dead. That's a misunderstanding. It was about washing the body. Iranius was talking about Marcion. Uh, again, Marcion, that he, he was the only guy. We have Tertullian, who's saying that it was Marcion that hated the Sabbath, not Paul. So all of your points, I have given evidence to the contrary to prove that it's not Paul that, with whom we have the problem, but it's Marcion. Marcion. Paul was all for the Sabbath. Marcion was against it. So you see two Pauls because you see Marcion's version of Paul, not Paul himself. And again, the, the Catholics did not come up with hating this, uh, telling us to change the Sabbath. They're just like, we just don't want to keep it. They're, they're honest about that. I disagree with, with them choosing Sunday over Saturday. But they're like, look, the Sabbath is the seventh day. And they say such an absurd reasoning is completely contrary to the word of God. Jesus himself said that He did not come to abolish or do away with the laws and commandments of God, but to fulfill them. Nor did Christ fulfill any commandment in order to release Christians from their obligation to keep God's laws. Indeed, He set the perfect example for us to free us from, for us to free us from committing sin, which is the transgression of the law. Jesus did not come to keep the commandments in our stead. Years into his ministry, the Apostle Paul said that he was still zealous for the laws of God, which would certainly include the Sabbath commandment. So the Catholics are refuting you. The Catholics are refuting you. I don't even have to. The Catholics are doing it. And you're saying that Paul is the bad guy. He's not. It's Marcionism. They go on. All right. Greek toward for rest, et cetera. All right. Well, guess I'm out of time there. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me come back here. Sorry. All right, cool. So Very uh, well. we have questions from the, uh, the comment section, uh, Chris, did you happen to see any questions? That well, I see
2: you? a lot of comments and conversation, but I, I went back through and I didn't really see uh, questions so far. Okay. Okay. Um,
0: very cool. Yeah, so I read I'm them all. A-
1: yeah. Well, I was saying, I, I Were read most there any, most any- comments. But yeah, no, no, no real questions,
0: no. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, then I guess if we have no questions, then that pretty much brings us to the end of our debate. Um, uh, any final quick thoughts on anybody's part? I don't have any. <laughs> so um, i give you guys an opportunity.
1: Well, I think there's a... Uh- it is interesting, and I, I'd like to sometime maybe see a if you'd be up to it a kind of round table discussion, uh, you know, where we can throw questions at each other and, and other people can ask. And that I, I think sure. I think we would uh, like. I have a, a on Sundays a, a Zoom session that I have with people, and mm-hmm. it's I basically just make it open. To discuss whatever people want, and so that way, you get different people putting, you know, giving their input instead of sure. just two, two people. Uh, yeah. right. just I understand. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll think about that see if we have time in the future. But uh, I want to thank uh, Chris for being our moderator. Thank you, Chris. I do appreciate certainly that, uh, yeah. keeping an eye on the clock. And we'll like to thank. Thank you. I'd like to thank Laverne for coming and for passionately sharing his views. And um, I think it's always beneficial when we can uh, take time to hear each other and take time to present our ideas. So again, thank you, Laverne. Where can people find more of your uh, your teaching and stuff?
1: Uh, Well, uh, the easiest place is uh, YouTube. uh, Trust in JC. That's the name of my channel. And 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 I would like to say I I I like that. you are all for the torah like i I do debate quite a few people and and, uh by debate i'm talking about mostly in the comment section but so many people teach that the law is done away with and that's really uh, where my main focus is is trying to get rid rid of you know that teaching i have Mm -hmm. people I have people that I consider a a brother and sister in Christ who believe as you do. You know, Paul is a true apostle, Mm -hmm. but I consider them a brother and sister because they teach the importance of the law, that the law is intact. You know, uh, so many people will argue that if you believe as I do about Paul, then you can't believe in the Holy Trinity. You can't believe in, uh, you know, that he that it was a virgin birth, and they'll tell me, well, you must believe uh, that he wasn't uh, wasn't divine, you know, and I say, no. The people I know who believe as I do, that Paul was false. Uh, we all believe that Christ was born of a virgin. He emptied himself of his divinity, that he is God made flesh, the word made flesh. Uh, he, he was there for the you know the creation of the heavens and the earth, and everything was made through Him. Uh, you know, so we don't have to believe differently in that way, uh, just because we don't believe Paul is false. And I think the main thing is, when somebody becomes born again, are they maintaining the commandments? Are they living yeah. in a, you know, that way? Uh, so yeah, I, I I I applaud you for what you are doing. Uh, you. Keeping, you know, keeping the commandments and, and that kind of thing, and the people that follow you are are, are going to do that.
2: Uh, but, yeah, Thank I just you.
1: wanted to. Glad, wanted to say. Glad we agree
0: on that. Um, and I, I I definitely understand um, how you arrived at this conclusion. Uh, and of course, I would suggest that Marcion is the bad guy. <laughs> that uh, you know that uh, Marcion threw in a lot of bad teachings that Paul gets blamed for. I would argue. And, um, and I know I came out of dispensational church where, you know, they're like, can't keep the law. And now they think I'm putting people back under the law and they're going to lose their salvation. I'm like, God just had to keep his commandments. That's all I want to (laughs) do. So very cool. Well, thank you guys. Thank you again. I want to thank everybody that joined us. Uh, Everybody had a a good time. Uh, So fantastic. And uh, stay in the word. That's what I'd encourage you to do.
1: Take care. Uh, Just a question, how soon will this be uploaded or how do you do it? Uh, We're
0: just, uh, we're still saying goodbye and my software has taken a second to respond.